This podcast may contain explicit language. Welcome to the greatest MCU movie of all time crossover podcast. The show that uses a unique grading style to redefine what the greatest MCU movies are. I'm Tom Duncan. And I'm Adam. Tonight, we discuss the first film of Phase 2 and our seventh movie in the series with Iron Man 3, originally released on May 3rd, 2013. Written and directed by Shane Black. Co-written with Drew Pierce. Music by Brian Tyler. Starring Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark slash Iron Man. Gwyneth Paltrow as Pepper Potts, Don Cheadle as James Rhodey Rhodes slash the Iron Patriot, Guy Pierce as Aldrich Killian, Rebecca Hall as Maya Hansen, Stephanie Soz... I'm going to get... I'm going to butcher this name, but... Sostak as Ellen Brandt. I don't know why that name's so hard. It's got to be Polish. I should be better at that, given the amount of Polish people that are around me, but... James Badgedale as Eric Sabin. William Sadler as Matthew Ellis, Miguel Ferrer as Rodriguez, John Favreau as Happy Hogan, Ben Kingsley as Trevor Slattery, Paul Bettany as Jarvis, and Ty Simpkins portrays Harley Keener. Budget for this movie, you have a guess? Oh, I forgot we do this. I'm going to guess $150 million. It comes in around $200 million. Wow, okay. And I should mention, this is the last movie with the Paramount logo. So this is right as they were getting bought up. I think Avengers is technically the first one under Marvel Studios, as opposed to the distribution arm of Paramount. But this is all, I think, for the most part, under Walt Disney branding at some point. So, box office ranking. Where does this rank among all MCU films in total box office? This includes all the four phase four and phase five films as well. Yeah, so they're 33, and this is worldwide, correct? Not domestic, correct? I mean, it's definitely up there. It's, I mean, so there's 33, so it's, I mean, it's easily the top half. Uh, let's see, hold on. This is terrible podcasting on my part, but I'm gonna kind of go through quickly to see just off the top of my head one, two, three, four, five. As long as you keep talking, it's okay podcasting. It's not great, but it's okay. Seven. I'm just trying to quickly go through the ones that I think are higher than it. I'm going to say it comes in at eight. It's the eighth highest one. You're one off. It's number seven. Son of a bitch. It's Oh, it's seven. Okay. All right. Interesting. I would have guessed it was nine after when you said one off. Okay. So the total worldwide box office was $1.2 billion. Total domestic box office was four hundred and nine million. Domestic opening weekend, one hundred and seventy-four million. So ten years ago, this movie vastly outproduced by four times the amount what the Marvels did this last weekend. Yeah, yeah, and it only had one lead character. Uh, yeah. Well, I think that might be part of it, to be honest. Well, yeah, the Marvels had two lead characters that half the audience had never seen or heard of so that hurts all right let's go to the critic scores the rotten Tomatoes scores what do you think they gave well i gotta assume it's fresh oh yeah it is fresh it's only been like two non-fresh uh i'm gonna say like 83 
you're off by a few points here. It's a 79%. So 79% ah. of the critics liked the movie. Because that's how they aggregate their scores over there. Metacritic, you want to give a guess as to their score? Uh, this is out of 10? Uh, it's out of 100 technically. But oh, they're okay. a little bit more gradations as to what somebody puts in their review. Mm. It's not just like, did you like it or did you not like it? That's why I think the Rotten Tomatoes score is often off. Yeah, this is an actual score, right? This averages a score, Correct. not not averages well, pass and fail. It not only does that, but it averages everybody's score within their score. So you have certain critics that will give it like an 83, you know, that yeah. type of thing. Yeah, Tomatoes is just pass fail, which is why it's confusing. Uh, I'm going to say 82. It's a 62. Metacritic oh. is always a slightly harsher <laughs> grader than uh, Rotten Tomatoes is. Oof. Almost always. The I have Dana. very rarely seen Metacritic actually be higher than the Rotten Tomatoes score. The Dana of the, of the critic world. Damn. And Letterboxd, this is out of five. And they do point. And they do decimal points. Yeah. Tenths of a point, right? Correct. Okay. Uh, I'm going to say 3.1. Wow. Very, very close. It was a straight <sighs> three out of five. Dang. Close. Plot summary for this one. In Iron Man 3, director Shane Black brings a fresh perspective to Tony Stark's saga. The film opens with a vulnerable Tony Stark grappling with the aftermath of the events in The Avengers. Haunted by anxiety and insomnia, Stark finds solace in his workshop where he obsessively builds an array of Iron Man suits. However, the narrative takes an unexpected turn when a mysterious terrorist known as the Mandarin, Ben Kingsley, emerges orchestrating a series of devastating attacks on the United States. Stark's world unravels as his home is destroyed and he is presumed dead. Stranded in a remote location with a malfunctioning suit, Stark must rely on his ingenuity to survive. Iron Man 3 explores themes of identity and resilience as Stark confronts his own vulnerabilities without the protective shell of his suits. Confronting the man behind the armor, stripping away the layers to reveal the core of Tony Stark. Downey delivers a nuanced performance, balancing the charisma and wit that defines Stark with a newfound vulnerability that adds depth to the character. The film's climactic showdown brings Stark full circle, challenging him to redefine the essence of Iron Man. All right, did you know? The idea that Happy Hogan's favorite television show is Downton Abbey was at the suggestion of John Favreau himself, who is actually a big fan of the British series. Did you know? Robert Downey Jr. pushed to get Gwyneth Paltrow to have some action scenes, and producer Kevin Feige approved. Quote, we are bored by the damsel in distress, but sometimes we need our hero to be desperate enough to fight for something other than just his own life. So there is fun to be had with the, is Pepper in danger or is she the savior over the course of this movie? Did you know? The first Iron Man movie to gross over $1 billion and the second Marvel movie to reach this mark after the Avengers, which was the first. Did you know? The character of U.S. President Ellis is named after comic book writer Warren Ellis, who wrote the 2005 Iron Man story arc Extremis, a primary influence for this film franchise's storyline. Did you know? Shane Black described the movie as a Tom Clancy thriller with the focus on real-world type villains and not two men in iron suits fighting each other. Honestly, I did not find a lot of great material for the Did You Know this time. 
So we're going to take our first break and we will be right back. Before we jump back into the episode, next month we are discussing the eighth movie in our crossover podcast series with Thor The Dark World from 2013. Directed by Alan Taylor, written by Christopher Yost, Christopher Marcus, and Stephen McFeely. Music by Brian Tyler. Starring Chris Hemsworth, Natalie Portman, Tom Hiddleston, Stellan Skarsgård, Idris Elba, Kat Dennings, Jamie Alexander, Rene Russo, and Anthony Hopkins. You won't want to miss that one, so watch ahead of the show by searching the Real Good app to find where it's streaming for you. That's R-E-E-L-G-O-O-D. You were ready to do that that time, weren't you? I just wanted to mouth it along. I was ready to go, though. I'm going to be ready from now on to do it. That's R-E-E-L-G-O-O-D. There you go. So if you want the first half of our discussion on the movie, you can subscribe to the Streaming Circuit podcast for that. But we're here now to apply the patent-pending Stan Lee rubric, started by my regular show, Greatest Movie of All Time podcast, to determine the greatest MCU movie of all time. If you've never listened to the show before, that's okay. My regular show, Greatest Movie of All Time, uses our patent-pending Stanley rubric to grade movies on their legacy, their impact, and significance in the moment of their release, their novelty, their classicness, and their rewatchability. Plus, then we give you all some points, too, by incorporating the audience scores from both Google and Rotten Tomato users. So, Adam, Legacy is up first. Do you need a reminder how to do Legacy here? No, I don't need a reminder. I, I got it this time. I did have a question, though, for you, because I've never understood where this goes. Does box office go under legacy or impact significance? Because I feel like whenever I try to apply it, it's wrong. So which which does it go into? So just a refresher, legacy is supposed to be after the initial five years of the release of the movie. So roughly this was released in 2013. The five-year period would end approximately about 2018. So we always attribute box office as needing or contributing towards impact and significance okay. by how much the popularity of the movie or what the audience actually responded to with the movie. So given that this was one of the bigger standalone movies as far as gross and producing revenue, et cetera, I would put that in the audience section of impact and significance. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So for industry, for legacy, I went with a 2.5. I think it's right down the middle. It's, you know, Shane Black did it. By the way, is this a Christmas movie? Do you think? Again, I am not the one to define Christmas movies, but I will say this fits into the same category for me as Die Hard or It's a Wonderful Life. It's incidental that it's happening at Christmas. Well, It's a Wonderful Life is a Christmas movie. You got to let that one go. But I agree with you on the other one, and I agree this okay, is not a Christmas movie. If It's a Wonderful Life is a Christmas movie, my only contemplation is, is that then Die Hard and this movie would also then be Christmas movies. Ah, see, you see, it's just a, it's just a vibe. You just have to go. It's a vibe. Is does it fit the vibe? This this is not a Christmas movie. Come on, just because he gets her a big bunny rabbit, you got to relax about it. Doesn't mean it's a Christmas movie. Any who's I think you just have to be consistent. Consistently and consistent. That's consistency. Uh, so I gave it a two point five. You know, Shane Black. He doesn't come back to direct anything else. You know, Tony Stark doesn't or uh, RDJ doesn't do any more solo movies for Iron Man. I think this movie just kind of exists. I don't think it's it was a, a a tarnish of anyone's legacy, but I just don't think it boosted anyone's legacy in the industry all that much. Um in terms of the quality of the film. I don't think it did anything. I don't think it moved the needle either way for anybody. 
Yeah, I can't offhandedly mention like what's the big Shane Black movie that he got to be able to do because he did an MCU film. Like it doesn't really exist that I'm aware of. And obviously Robert Downey was already a big star after the first two Iron Man movies and the Avengers. He would end up being like the key figure for at least the Infinity Saga. There's nobody else in this movie that I think like made their career off of things. Gwyneth Paltrow, for the most part, got out of acting for quite a while. And Don Cheadle, like, you know, he'd been in a couple of other things to this point. He had had acting nominations. You know, John Favreau kept doing his thing. He this was the first and only one that he didn't direct of the Iron Man films. But yeah, I mean, I can understand where you're coming from from the industry side of it. The only thing I will say is, is that it does mark a shift in that you've had your first team up movie and now you're going back to the solo movies. I think there is something exploratory about that. Now that you've had the one success, can you follow it up? And given the relative popularity of this, like I've made no bones about it. I don't think this is the best phase two film. And frankly, I think this is kind of, for the most part, forgettable. I prefer the first two Iron Man movies just a little bit more. I think they're a little bit more oh, fun. Oh, wow. But you think two is better? Wow. I didn't say better. I said I enjoy it more. Okay, interesting. Which is true. I went through that entire pod, and I think I said that multiple times. So I'm just backing that back up. But even so, given its relative success, and it pulled you into the MCU at large, I do think this has some effect on it. And given that it is the last Iron Man movie, I had a 3.5 for the industry originally. You might have brought me down a little bit, and I had a four for the audience. Wow, a four. Holy moly. What was your audience one? 2.5 as well. I, th I think most people don't think of this highly. I mean, you just said you prefer the first two Iron Man movies over it. I think uh, pretty much no one has this movie as their favorite Iron Man movie. It's it's just an argument of is it your least favorite or is it in the middle for you? To touch on something you said though, I, you did get me thinking of who of no one really blew up from this movie. Ty Simpkins was really the only person I think kind of blew up. And granted, he's a kid actor, so like there's really only up to go. I mean, but you know he did get Jurassic World after this, which was a huge movie that he's uh, not the lead, but he's a big part of that movie. And so I think he's the only one that really stock went up from this movie necessarily but yeah i went 2.5 public i think you know the audience i think this movie is kind of forgettable for most people in their mcu things i don't think anyone actively dislikes the movie but no one is being a cheerleader for it either i think it just kind of exists for people and in some ways it feels in similar fashion to a lot of the phase one movies we talked about other than the fact that those got a lot more cable run because of the distribution and those were much more available to be put on Netflix or whatever else. And because they're back further, those could be rewatched more often than some of these other ones that unless you had the Blu-ray just weren't as available. I do think that might have an effect on it. So you've talked me down a little bit. I'm going to go with three and a three then. So I'll have a six overall. You had a five and our average will be a 5.5. Very nice. See, we can kind of moderate and compromise. Look at us. Yeah, as long as you're the one compromising, it's fine. <laughs> um, no, you actually did. Uh, you, you brought me up a little bit, though, from my impact significance on what I initially had. Yeah, I think this was a much bigger movie in the moment. 
For sure. I mean, the box office, because this was kind of a, a case study for them, you know, of like, well, we did the big movie and we kind of did the thing we set out to do. You know, we wanted to make these movies. We wanted to build it to the Avengers. And then after the Avengers, it's kind of like, oh, now what? Like, can we actually do this again? Or is this going to feel our audience is going to be like, well, we kind of checked out. Like audience have checked out after Endgame. You know, this it could have easily happened earlier. So this was a huge case study for them, and it worked really well um, to make a over a billion dollars to be the first solo movie to make over a billion dollars. Really told them, okay, this is kind of the turning point of like Avengers was gonna do well probably. If this did well, then we really have something cooking. Like now we're set to go, and so I'll give it a three point five for both the industry and the public. I came up a little bit from where I am. You talked me up. Clearly, the the interest was there from the audience to to go see this movie, support this movie. People were still interested in the MCU, which was huge for them. So you have a seven overall. I actually much higher on this than you. As far as the industry, again, getting to the point where you have a team up film and really the first one of its kind, where you had multiple people across multiple movies joining up and kind of creating this hodgepodge that seemed to work. Not only did it work as far as the plot and the rest of it, but people celebrated it. It was like a huge moment in cinema history for that. To follow that up, I think could have easily turned out to be a dud. And while this, to me, in some ways is not nearly at the same highs of the Avengers, which I think is the best phase one movie, not by a, a ton over Iron Man, but I, I still think that's the best of those. Yeah it could have very easily gone poorly. Yeah. And I don't think this is quite as bad as some people may might have you believe. I think though, this is kind of relegated to the dustbin in a legacy sense. And I know I scored it a little bit higher than you on legacy for that, even though I just made that point, but in the moment, given its relative box office, the fact that this was the first follow-up, it was a full year after the Avengers happened and you were kind of waiting to see because I remember going to this in theaters. I think I went over the summer because I had literally nothing else to do and I was trying to avoid writing my last term paper. Like it, this was the last week of college for me when this came out. Oh, wow. I very vividly remember going to the film and being slightly disappointed, but at the same time, enjoying myself that I wasn't thinking about the paper. I just really did not want to write. I got a A on it, by the way. Hey and somehow passed the class, even though it was probably one of the worst papers I've maybe ever wrote in my college career. Let's go. Anyway, beside that point, I have a four and a 4.5 because the box wow. office was outstanding. I think the audience basically proved we're here to see anything with Robert Downey Jr. being Tony Stark. Mm. and the industry got that, and they built whatever Phase 2 and Phase 3 were on the back of, we've got something a little bit more than just the team-up. We've got individual characters that people are going to respond to, and they capitalized on it in a successful fashion. Yeah. It's funny to hear you score it so much higher than me because on my part of the pod, I was so much... I feel like I was much more enthusiastic than you were, but now you're... Now it's flipped when we're actually scoring things. I just feel for me, what's bringing my scores down is the Mandarin twist. And while I don't hate it per se, I know a lot of people do. And I know a lot of people are very perturbed by the Mandarin twist and everything. Um, and I think it could have been handled a little better. 
I know we talked about it on part one on your show, The Streaming Circuit, available wherever you get your podcast. I'm just not bothered by it. I think that's that's reflective of this. The overall aesthetic and the tone change to me is what, for the most part, is the more disappointing aspect of the movie. I think that Favreau struck a very good tone. This was much darker. It felt like people were dying that were of actual consequence or that were like real innocent people. It felt a little bit un MCU like like the stakes were much higher and it it just had that dark edge to it that felt a little different and so I think that's for the most part why it just has never struck the right chord with me but as I mentioned on part one for at least probably two-thirds of the movie I actually enjoyed it probably the most I have ever before it's kind of started to grow on me a little bit in the way that uh, the first Captain of America movie did on you so I'll give it even that. Yeah, I I mean, I, the twist doesn't bother me a lot. I, I mean, I did prefer Slattery's Mandarin, as we talked about, even though it was fake, like what he portrayed, I preferred that. But yeah, let's move on to the next category. So novelty, I think I'm going to be a little bit higher than you. Partially, again, Ooh. based on the tone and the plot being very different than the first two Iron Man movies, and frankly, different than just about anything that the MCU had done before. Thor is kind of brightly lit and is a little bit deity-like. It, it kind of celebrates him as this godlike figure. And Captain America is kind of a Boy Scout. He's fighting the Nazis, but it's very wholesome. The first two Iron Man movies are very lighthearted. This is the first really dark-toned movie. It's dealing with psychosis and a lot of psychological themes. It's dealing with a little bit more of a casualty count than the other movies. Because even in Avengers, when you figure there are a bunch of people that died in the Battle of New York, it was it would be hard for <laughs> a bunch of people. Yeah. Well, it would be hard for a lot of people not to die in that. It's never really mentioned that there's like a body count. And it looks like the Avengers are saving a ton of people and that everybody just very quickly was able to evacuate all of these areas for the most part. Like you don't actually see on screen deaths, whereas there are literal exploding people that are somewhat innocent in this movie. So it it brings a different tone to it. Whether that's good or bad, it is still at least novel. And I still bring up the point that this is the first post-Avengers movie. It's bringing in a new industry novelty to it that I think they had to be a little bit daring, try a little bit new, and see where it went. And while I don't think it's ultimately successful, I went with a seven here. Okay. I went with a five. I think you make some good points. It is darker, and I do appreciate that. I like that. I, I, it's hard for me to put a too high of a score on a on a third movie in a franch in a in a sub franchise. That's fair. How novel can you be? You know, in that point, I will say though, one you know, this movie is starting to spin a lot more plates than any Marvel movie has before, because you know, leading up to Avengers, those five movies were all independent movies. Like, you knew they were in the same universe, but it's like Captain America does not need to reference anything in any other movie. It can. It's cool if it does, but it doesn't have to. The only now other the, I would counter that with is Iron Man 2, where it does shoehorn a few other things in there, like Natasha being in the movie and the S.H.I.E.L.D. aspect of it, clearly setting up the Avengers in a way that none of the other films were. True, but that but they, they wanted to do that. That movie didn't have to do that, though. This movie 
now that you've done the Avengers, now every movie has to connect in a way that the movies previous before the Avengers didn't have to. Like now you actually do have to fit this into a whole into a world where everything has to make sense. Because before the Avengers, they were kind of like, fuck it. If this works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't, you know? But now it's like, okay, it works. And now we're here. Like now we have to really pay attention to make sure everything fits. So they're spinning a lot of plates. So I give them credit for that. But ultimately, the third movie of a franchise, not a great villain. Yeah, I give it a five. Okay. So I forgot to give the average on the last category. That was a 7.75 for impact and significance. We have a six average for this category. Classicness, would you like to go first or second? I'll go first. I gave it a six. I mean, I, I again, the Mandarin thing, I think people are, are generally down on, even if it doesn't bother us. The, it just, the second act or the third act of the movie does kind of drag for me. I don't think it's great. I think the first act is great. Second act is good. And the third act is kind of meh. Like we mentioned on the first part, the, the ending where he like is quasi retired only to come out of retirement immediately. It's uh, it just, I, I don't know how classic this movie is. So I gave it a six. Yeah. There are certain parts of it that definitely don't age well, in my opinion. And normally I start at a seven and work either up or down. There's nothing that I felt was ahead of its time with this particular movie because it's kind of capping off an individual franchise. It's moving the plot forward. Tony now becomes kind of the godfather of the Avengers saga or the Infinity Saga without having any of his own standalone movies. And it transitions a little bit. The bait and switch with the Trevor versus Killian thing is a little weird. The notion of people as bombs and terrorism feels a little dated, if you ask me. And frankly, a completely earthbound story wherein he saves the U.S. is kind of small compared to what Tony eventually does throughout the rest of the saga. So I don't take those individually as points off, but I ended up at the same score. I have a six. Well, I think you have to have it small. I mean, I think that's one of the problems with these movies is like every movie is now we have to save the universe. And it's like, well, then none of this ever matters if every movie you're doing that. So I appreciate it. But tell me the other like truly earthbound movie that they're like saving a country or something where it's an act against terrorism. I I guess the only other one I can think of is Winter Soldier. Again, yeah, Winter Soldier from Phase 2. Well, I mean... All the Iron movie, Iron Man movies are small. I mean, the first one is just a battle for a company, really. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is it? What, what do you think about the um, not having any more Iron Man movies after this? It's weird to me. I think they were contractually obligated, not that they didn't want to do them. But if you're Downey and you're getting paid upwards of like. 40 million to do one small bit part in like civil war or whatever, or in the Spider-Man movies. And then you get a huge percentage of the gross. Like if I get to be paid premiums for barely showing up and doing stuff like hell, I'm going to want to do anything else. Yeah. I I feel like it has to be him, right? It has to be like, he doesn't want to do this. Cause I mean, this, I mean, this movie made over a billion dollars and you can't tell me that every Iron Man movie, if they'd made six of these, the four, five, and six all would have made over a billion dollars. There's no way it wouldn't have. 
I think that's why it was partially contractually obligated that they couldn't do standalone Iron Man films. And that's why they inserted him in other stuff all over the place. Yeah. I mean, I think it worked out well for them. I really like how Tony Stark transitioned to just kind of, you know, the, the designated hitter of the MCU just popping up when he needs to. But it just, it is kind of weird to me that this movie was so successful and then they were done and they stopped doing them until, until now with Rhodes when he gets his. That's why I would say that Avengers 2, 3, and 4 and Civil War are like, or Iron Man 4, 5, 6, and 7. I mean, realistically, while he's not the only primary character, he is one of the central figures in every one of those movies. Yeah, he's the, I mean, he's the main character. If you had to pick a main character, he's definitely in every single movie he's in. Well, Avengers movie. Not Civil War, obviously. But. Well, even Civil War, like at worst, he's the second lead. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't think he's ever in a movie where he's not at least second. Even in Spider Man, he's second. But yeah, because he has such an outsized influence over the entire story of what's going on. Yeah, I mean, he's 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 great, and well, I'm, I'm curious to see what his role will be in Secret Wars. How big of a role he'll have? <laughs> okay, yeah, bringing it all back to us, aren't you? He's coming back. Anyone who thinks he's not coming back, you're insane. He's coming back for that. Honestly, they need him at this point a lot more than... And to a degree, it's not like anything he's done after his career is over, with the exception of Oppenheimer, has been that great. He's going to win an Oscar in a few months. So, I mean, I think he's doing okay. Yeah, but everything, like Dr. Doolittle... Come on. Yeah. I mean, well, the Sherlock Holmes... Well, he hasn't done a Sherlock Holmes in 12 years. I've never actually seen them. I really want to. They're on my list. But the first I mean, one's that, I mean, pretty great. The second one, eh. I, I mean, those did well, though, didn't they? Like, I mean, if they announced Sherlock Holmes 3 in 2026, that would be big, wouldn't it? Wouldn't you do well? There have been rumors and plans that they've been going in and out of production and pre-production on those for years, but I just don't know at this point whether the schedules are all going to match. The biggest thing was is he was so integrated into everything that was going on with the MCU, it was hard for him to do anything else. And he was doing those originally around the same time that he started Iron Man. Well, when the MCU wasn't making five films a year and there was an Avengers film like every other year, then he could do something else on the side. Well, you can't really do that when that's your primary breadwinner. So I'll be curious if he does come back around to that, but I just... Given the state of the MCU, we talked a little bit about the Marvels on the front side. One of their other major stars has basically gone on all the talk show circuits with the end of Loki. Tom Hiddleston has now said, you know, it ends my MCU journey and I can believe him to a degree. And I don't think Chris Hemsworth is healthy enough to really kind of come back at this point. He's kind of ridden off into the sunset a little bit, obviously due to his health challenges. Chris Evans is well past whatever he wants to do with the MCU. Honestly, the only person that you probably could bring back is Tony. No, Evans is coming back. I mean, well, to be clear, when I say coming back, I mean they're coming back for Secret Wars. I, I do not for a second believe Robert Downey Jr. is going to be Iron Man again after that. I'm just saying for that one movie, they're no, all but, coming back. But if you can get people psyched to do that again and then bring it in and then make everybody watch all the stuff that they missed or give a second chance to all the stuff that they missed so that they don't feel confused when they go to see Iron Man for the possible last time again. You know, I think that might be worth it. Yeah, I think Secret Wars is going to... Everyone's saying, you know, Marvel's dead, and I've joked about that. I think Secret Wars is going to do just fine when they release a trailer with 
Downey Jr.'s Iron Man and Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man and Hugh Jackman's Wolverine talking, I think it's going to do just fine. I think people are going to be like, you know what? I'll give this movie a shot. After that... That might be a little too much to hope for because you're now combining different movie studios, but okay, point taken. Yeah, but people don't know that. Like, the general audience has no fucking clue. This was Fox, this was Sony, this was Marvel. They don't, they no, but I think the contractual obligations to be able to combine all of that is going to be really difficult. Contractual obligations. They own all of it. No, well, they, they don't. don't. Spy, they don't own Spider-Man. They don't own Tobey Maguire and Spider-Man. Sony still maintains control and no, rights over I understand over that. that. Yes, I understand that. But I, I have a feeling Sony's not going to be like, no, you can't have Toby for Secret Wars. I, I think they're going to be just fine. MGM, a studio that is now somewhat defunct but got bought out by Amazon, traded the rights for Spider-Man to Sony in order to buy the rights to Casino Royale back so that they could do that as the first new James Bond movie for Daniel Craig. Christ. That person lost their job, or hopefully they should. Well, probably about at this point, because I think just about everybody cycled through that place now. There's there's probably a new cast of characters over there now that Bezos has got his hooks in it. All right, let's let's finish up rewatchability here. What is the likelihood that I would put this on if we're watching it for this or I am doing like an MCU watch? I'll give it a two that I'd put it on on my own out of five. But oh, this is out of five. Okay, I was like, holy shit. (laughs) No, no. Yeah, two out of five that I would put it on because I split the category with our, our Kieran test here. Okay. That I would leave it on. I'm going to give it a 3.5. So I have a 5.5. Okay. Well, classic me. I com- I completely forgot about the scaring test thing. Well, okay. You can so do it's... it however you'd like. It's not a, like, that isn't the official test. It's just something that I do now. Okay. We can't give Kieran too much credit. Come on now. Let's just, let's pump the brakes. Let's, let's relax about that. What difference does it make? He's not listening to this anyway. True. True. Uh, so, so I didn't do that. I gave it a nine out of 10. This is the That's one fair. I'm going to go really high on. I could watch this movie all day long. I fucking love it. I think the character in I think Trevor is one of the, the funniest characters in the entire MCU. He's so funny. And, and especially with the Shang-Chi stuff with the, with the apes has me rolling on the floor, but in this movie, he's great. Harley Keener. I love him. Uh, I love Ty Simpkins. I wish he was in more stuff. I wish he came back to the MCU as Iron Lad, I wish they would just do it. I don't think they will, but uh, it would be a great arc for him. I, I, I love this movie. The The ending gets a little wonky for me. I don't love the final battle. It's not as interesting to me as the other stuff, but the beginning act up until basically when he, when he, when he discovers Trevor is not the real Mandarin up until that point, I think this movie is great. I absolutely love this movie. After that, it gets a little wonky, but um, I could watch this all day. And did for an entire summer, every day. So that's a 7.25 average between the two of us. For audience score, we had an 87% for Google users and a 78% for Rotten Tomato users, giving us a final total of 8.25 for that category. So to recap the categories, we had a 5.5 for Legacy, a 7.75 for Impact and Significance, 6 for Novelty, 6 for Classicness, 7.25 for Rewatchability, an 8.25, our highest score for audience score, giving us a final total of 40.75. And you want to guess where that place is on the list? I would like to guess, Tommy Boy. I'm going to guess it is third. 
So if you hadn't dragged down the scores, it would have been third. I originally had this clocked around a 42. You have just slightly pushed it under Captain America, the first Avenger by 0.15 points. Oh my God. I can't believe I did that. I like this movie so much more than that other movie. Damn. Ah, oh well. Yes. So it's in between right now, Captain America, the first Avenger and Iron Man two. But there's a, there's a clear gap between Iron Man two and this movie. Well, I can tell you in my personal rankings that I did this weekend, Iron Man 3 is five spots ahead of First Avenger. So I do like this movie more. Yeah, but it's not my fault that it's below First Avenger. Well, whose fault is it? If it's not mine, it's got to be yours. It is yours. Do you prefer either of the birds? Anyway, uh, so any final thoughts, uh, more grandiose MCU thoughts? You saw the Marvels. We've finished Loki season two. We're not getting another MCU movie, I think, almost at all next year because even Deadpool is not really tied into the larger universe yet. So I'd be curious if they do mm. figure out how to tie it in. No, I mean, I think it's going to be. I, I, I think Owen Wilson is in that movie. And I think it, I think the movie is going to be the TVA having Deadpool go across the multiverse and recruiting heroes is my theory of what that movie is going to be. So essentially a time suicide squad? Kind of, I guess. I think it's going to be him and Hugh Jackman in like a buddy cop movie trying to recruit a bunch of heroes to kind of assemble to face Kang. Um, and Mobius is the one putting them together. Is my thought. Could Might not be. I have no idea. The Marvel's post credit scene does, doesn't dissuade Spoilers me Spoilers here if anyone hasn't seen it yet. So three, two, one... Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say what it is because it's it's interesting enough. That's what I'm going to say. The post credit scene is interesting enough. I don't know if it was good or bad. For me, I kind of lean bad, but it's interesting. So I don't I don't want to spoil it. I want I want to let people discover it on on their own. Although this this is coming out not for a while, so I guess that, well, I don't want to spoil it for you though. I don't care. I'm not going to watch this for three months if I don't see it by then. And what's the difference? Okay, so the so the ending of the Marvels is Monica gets trapped in a different universe. Okay. And, and that's the end of the movie. And then also Kate Bishop shows up in the movie. There are some cameos in this movie that are, I think are, are fine. The end of the movie is Amon Volani's Miss Marvel in the Nick Fury role. And she's in Kate Bishop's apartment. And she says, I'm putting together a team. Yeah. That's supposed to be like the little Avengers or whatever. The, <laughs> young Avengers. Yeah. The young Which, Avengers. My bad. When, when Kate Bishop showed up, I wanted to scream. I was so happy. I fucking love Kate Bishop. So, but the, anyway, the post-credit scene okay. is, is Monica wakes up in a hospital. She's in a new universe and her mom is there, but it's not her mom. It's Lashana Lynch. And she is some version of Captain Marvel in this universe. Yeah. And of course, like Monica's freaking out. She's like, mom, oh my God. And, and this, and her, and the other characters like, I don't, I don't know who, I don't know who you are. Like, what are you talking about? Why are you calling me mom? And then, Kelsey Grammer's beast comes in and I just like, <laughs> I just, I don't know why it bothers me, but it does. Like, I just don't need Frazier in the MCU. <laughs> like, I just don't care. I don't know why we're doing this. He's not, no one gives a shit about his character. I don't understand. Anyway. So he comes in and he's like, Oh, Charles needs to hear, needs to see that you're awake or something. And that's the post credit scene. So she's clearly in the universe, you know, the X-Men universe of the original films. 
Like, at least bring in Nicholas Holt, not Kelsey Grammer. Well, yeah, don't even get me started on that. I like Nicholas Holt. I love Nicholas Holt. I, the, the new X-Men movies are probably, are not great. The cast is awesome. I will stand by that. I would be, I would be happy I if know, they just um, kept... What was it? Uh, the first one, First Class and uh, Days of Future Past, I thought were good movies. Those are very good. I like Apocalypse. A lot of people don't. Dark Phoenix is is abysmal. Dark Phoenix is one of the worst movies. I've Which ever is seen, why I never watched it. But yeah, okay. It's bad. Um, but anyway, so so that kind of like doesn't dissuade me from my theory that Deadpool is going to go into that universe to recruit heroes to face Kang. Marvels is fun. I liked it. I enjoyed it. The fight scene. There's a fight. You know, the I think it's in a trailer where they keep switching with each other and. The beginning fight scene is unbelievable with that. They're all fighting in three different locations and they keep switching out and it's just an amazing sequence. Uh, the The villain sucks. The villain is one of their worst ever. So bad. It's unbelievable how bad the villain is. And, and, and the only other issue I had with it is there's no tension whatsoever between the three of them. And and they're needed more. Like there's one. Uh, do you remember in Captain Marvel when she's got that thing and using it to kind of with memories to show her what her memories are? No, I watched that film the one time in theaters. I've tried twice to try and start rewatching it, and I just can't do it. <laughs> I, I rewatched this the other night. It wasn't as bad as I remember. Um, but anyway, so there's a there's a device that she has that can show her, her memories. And they there was part of a mission where they needed to see their memories from a fight that the three of them had. So they all hook up to it. And they're looking, they're watching the fight and they get what they need. And then Carol's memories start to go haywire when they're in it. And she starts seeing Monica's mom and all her interactions with her mom. Cause the whole thing with Monica is you never came back. You left, you abandoned my mom and she died. And her memory shows that she actually was there cause Monica blipped. And after that, Carol came down and, and was with uh, Maria, I think is her name. And so Monica was seeing this memory play out and you can hear her screaming to Carol, stop this. I don't want to see this. And so they stop and there was no tension. It was dissolved immediately. Like they just made up almost immediately. And there needed to be more tension there, I thought, to make the movie more interesting. But every at every turn, and there's another scene at the, towards the end where Kamala does something completely against what Carol said to do. And Carol was mad for like two seconds and then they immediately hugged and made up. And I was just like, come on. Other than that, though, I thought the movie was really fun. Loki, though, whoa, Loki's good. Loki was very good. It's the one TV show I have absolutely no real qualms about. Four, five, and six, or at least four, five, and half of six, I thought were exceptional. The back half of six, eh, I mean, I I think it's a fitting ending, but it feels a little anticlimactic to me. Well, disappointing in that it's ending. That show had so much potential with it, it felt a little forced to end mm. as opposed to more of a natural buy-in, but I got the point that they were trying to make or where they were going with the story. Like, it doesn't feel completely unearned or I'd have much stronger feelings opposite of it, but I also felt it kind of maybe had needed a little bit more fleshing out. Like that last episode probably could have been two. And I think it would, it probably may have done a little bit better where he feels like that's his only last option. Cause we barely got the explanation of how he could even use his powers to get to the point where he's 
quite literally God Loki. Yeah. I think that I think the show definitely has more ground to cover. It's not going to. The show's clearly over. No, it, he said as much that he's done with it. Uh, but, but I think part of that, though, is just it's it's falling victim to the MCU itself, because, I mean, how do you make a third season of that show after Kang? Like, what even right. would that be? And I, there just isn't enough time with everything they're doing to make a third season before Kang Dynasty. The thing is, is I know they're doing this soft reset and, you know, Jonathan Majors, they've kind of had to continue to steer into that skid of some variety. I yeah. still don't know where they're going. Like, I don't I don't understand who the main characters are supposed to be, which Avengers we're supposed to really invest in, and where we'd like to go. Like, I was a big proponent of the original Doctor Strange, and you'll probably hear that when we get to that point. But, okay, is Tom Holland still supposed to be around? We don't know what really the plans are exactly for those films and how they're incorporated because there's supposed to be like a secondary trilogy involving him, but is that it somehow still a part of the MCU? And Doctor Strange, the character that we got out of Multiverse of Madness, felt so different from the original character. You know, is that somebody I'm supposed to invest in? Obviously, they were not done any favors by Chadwick Boseman's untimely demise. That would have been, I would have thought, probably the guy that you really could have invested in, but... Now that we've gotten a Black Panther 2 where it felt like a transition instead of a crowning achievement, you know, I, am I going to care that much about Brie Larson and Carol Danvers? I just don't know. <laughs> well, if she comes back, I'm not convinced she's, I'm not convinced she's not done because <laughs> she might just be like, fuck this. I'm so over it. I mean, Tom Holland, I think has to be the play. I think you, you have to go all in with Tom Holland. Well, Spider-Man's by far your most recognizable character, and he's done a very successful Spider-Man to this point. I think you would love to invest in that, but, you know, at what potential cost, given that you don't own that character? And Sony is very clearly trying to build their own universe. Yeah, I mean, well, 4 is definitely in the MCU, Spider-Man 4. I assume 5 and 6 will be as well. I don't know that. Uh, that hasn't been reported, but I would assume. Because he's Spider-Man, I believe, I haven't read the comic, but I believe he's the main character in Secret Wars, the comics that it's going to be based on. So I would assume they're going to lean heavily into him. But at the same time, that movie is going to be so ass-packed with every character we've ever seen in the history of Marvel movies. Um, there, I don't even know if there will be a lead, <laughs> to be honest. I don't know what it's going to be. Well, supposedly, okay, and I just literally googled it and so this is the cast list that is uh supposedly <laughs> headlining it to this point okay we have hemsworth as the primary avenger okay okay miss marvel as a number two well okay shang chi your lady love Catherine newton oh anthony Ooh. mackie benedict cumberbatch uh benedict wong we have Ironheart. We have Bruce Banner coming back, although it does not say the Hulk. I will note that. We have Sam Wilson, so Anthony Mackie, and we have uh, America Chavez, which hasn't really turned into anything. The only other person that is supposedly already a part of the cast is Kang. I mean, with, uh, with all due respect to that list, I don't think that's entirely... I mean, I'm sure all those characters are in it, but I mean, like, Amon Vellani is not going to be the the second lead in secret wars. I'm sorry to. Well, okay. Well, here's the IMDB list. All right. And some of these, this movie is also actually... like 
five years away. Like th- these, these cast lists are not up. Okay. I was going to read you the IMDb one, but all right, fine. Well, I'm sure it just says like all the MCU characters. I, I just don't think it's probably accurate at this point. Cause I don't, I don't even know if Marvel knows who's going to be in that movie. Well, I mean, as far as I can tell, it's all of those people. Cause it's, it's the same list. So notably oh, um, Scott yeah. Lang is not a part of this. We don't have Carol Danvers. So I don't know. We don't even have Sebastian Stan. I think Secret Wars, we're going to see basically every single character we've ever seen in that movie. Kang Dynasty to me is the more interesting one because I really don't know what's going to be in that movie. I don't, I really don't know who's going to be that one because they're not going to bring back all those characters for that one. That's going to be whatever hodgepodge of heroes we have and they're going to get their asses beaten. They're going to get beaten in Secret Wars. Because that's how you do it is, is you lay oh, you that think? one out and then the final one is them getting their revenge in Kang Dynasty. Well, Secret Wars is second. Kang Dynasty is first. Is it? I thought it was the other way around. No, Kang Dynasty is first. Cause the, well, the, and the rumor is that Doom is the, is the actual villain of Secret Wars and that Kang Dynasty is, is Kang and then Doom's going to take over. I just hope they okay, keep Kang. So from the comic series, here are the list of main characters. The Avengers, Fantastic Four, X-Men, Spider-Man, Hulk, Magneto, Doctor Doom, Absorbing Man, Doctor Octopus, Enchantress, Kang, Claw, Lizard, Molecule Man, Ultron, The Wrecking Crew, Galactus, and Beyonder. Wow. I I think Fantastic Four might, I, I think Reed Richards might be the lead of Kang Dynasty other than Kang. I think it might be Reed. I think Fantastic Four is going to be a big part of that. I just hope because there's a lot of rumors that they're looking to bail off Kang completely with the major stuff. God, I hope they don't do that. I would, I would love to see majors continue in the role because he's good in the role. I I understand that they're probably going to not do that. So then just recast him. Don't, don't completely bail on Kang because this, this whole thing is going to get a whole lot messier and it's going to make even less sense. If you just bail on the character, it's a multiverse. It's an easy recast. Keep Kang and bring in, um, John Boyega to be the next Kang, like figure it out and don't rush doom for God's sakes. He's the best villain you have. Don't blow your load and and rush him in two movies and then get him out, save him and let him be. Well, all I'll say is, is that they're truly adapting the secret wars. Then they have to introduce X-Men a lot sooner because there's a lot of stuff in secret wars that have to do with the X-Men. I, and I'm just reading the very basic like cliff notes here. I think they're definitely going to introduce them. I would not, if I was Kevin Feige, I would hold off on the X-Men until after secret wars. Cause then, cause after secret wars, you can just be like, we're just doing X-Men and fantastic four for the next six years. Like that's it. It's just them. And that'll be fine. Cause those are two huge properties, but I think they're going to rush them into secret wars old and new. Well, you could be introducing another generation of them. But if if you're really going to combine all the threads and you're going to get a sacred timeline again, you kind of have to pull in all of the extraneous Marvel stuff under one umbrella again and have it. So it would make sense that you'd have Tony Stark and or you'd have Downey and Tobey Maguire, you know, all in the same movie and multiple versions of that or multiple versions of Storm or whatever. Yeah, I think I, I think they're going to literally get every single character that they can contractually get for that movie. Like every like the the two Fantastic Four movies we got, 
maybe not 2015. They might, they might avoid that one. Um, but like as many X-Men characters that have been as they can get, probably Wesley Snipes Blade, because Lord knows they're not getting Marshall Ali's Blade. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to get everything in that movie. And, and you know what? I don't know if it will be good, but people will go see it. I guarantee people will go see it. I don't know if it will be good, though. At this point, is Eternals still canon? <laughs> I hope. I like Eternals. I want more Harry Styles. Okay. I'm sad. I'm sad. If I actually gave an interview on Styles, I think yesterday, someone well, asked him about it. We're definitely getting more Russell Crowe as a fat <laughs> Zeus. Uh, that I could live without. I would love to see Goldstein's uh, Hercules, though. I would be interested that's in that. definitely coming, but that's why I say we're going to get more Russell Crowe. Is it definitely coming? As far as I knew, it was definitely coming. In what? I thought it was going to be the next Thor movie. If we get a next Thor movie. I'm not I'm not convinced we're going to get the next Thor movie. The last one was pretty bad. I don't know. I liked the last one. Maybe I'm yes. one of the lone defenders, but yeah. In fact, I think that's my only TikTok video is uh, me liking that movie. Really? Yes, I'm pretty sure. That's funny. Well, hey, I liked Eternals. No one else did, so... Actually, we I didn't all, we mind all have it. Our films. We all have like, our I didn't films. think I like... it was as bad as everybody said. I didn't think it was good, but I didn't think it was that bad. It's just different, you know. It's just different. It's it's not a it's not a typical MCU movie. That is for sure. It's very different. But maybe they could use a little different. <laughs> maybe their problem is they're not going different enough, or they just need Spider Man. Maybe that's the problem. They just need to put Spidey in everything, and that'll be fine. So what you're advocating for is putting recognizable superheroes back in the MCU in order to recreate the branding. So we're going to bring back Downey. We're going to bring back Evans and all of that. But we can't have introduced the X-Men too soon because that would be apparently uh, warping the gene pool. Well, I don't think you can introduce the X-Men too soon. I'm just thinking from a business perspective, the longer you hold off on X-Men, like that's the last bullet you can fire if you're Kevin Feige. You have nothing after that. Is nothing. So, like, hold on to it as long as you can because once you fire that gun, you're done. There's so many good X-Men stories and they've already worked in a couple of X-Men into the regular MCU with Scarlet Witch and we had Quicksilver before. So it's not no, like... for sure, yeah. Not like those are out of the question. But you have a lot of characters from X-Men and Fantastic Four and other things to still work with. And it would be disservice to not use those in service of promoting and extending the MCU as long as you can. Because right now, those are your golden bullets that'll bring people back. You'll have some recognizable things. Like, you put Wolverine. I'm not even saying introduce Professor X or Magneto or Doctor Doom or any of these other things. But you just put Wolverine, a new Wolverine, in a random movie, it'll draw people. Because it's a recognizable character that you haven't had in this universe before. So everybody will enjoy seeing a new take on it and seeing how it's incorporated. Like, if you have Spider-Man and Wolverine go out on an adventure together in some capacity, I think people would come to that movie. Yeah, no, you. I mean, you definitely have a long runway with the X-Men. I think they should bring, just, just use the old X-Men in, in Secret Wars. Don't bring in any new X-Men yet. Just use the old characters and then just save the new characters for as long as you can down the road. Because you have a long runway with them, sure. But I, when I say you have nothing left, you don't have any, any new ground to cover in terms of characters after the X-Men come in. That's it. You've used Fantastic Four. You've used X-Men. Now you, you don't have any other characters to bring in after the X-Men. 
So just hold off as long as you can, because you can probably get 10 movies out of the X-Men if you did it right. But then what? Then you're, then you're talking about resetting things again. And it's like, how many resets are the fans going to go through before they're like, fuck this. Like, we're not doing this anymore. So that's why I'm there saying, no ask on. DC. Yeah, exactly. Ask DC how many resets you can do. Apparently <laughs> so you can do it every like five to 10 years with Batman. Well, okay. That's different though. Cause that's, that's not a, fr- that's not a universe though. It's just a, an individual. It wasn't a, a different try at a universe. And I think each Batman kind of stands in its own universe. Cause every director seems to have a much different tone on the character. Yes, it doesn't have the weight of everything else, but I don't think they've restarted the universe yet. So, okay. No, they haven't. Superman. I mean, Superman would be the test. If super, I mean, if Superman does well, then hey, maybe maybe you can just reset it infinitely. <laughs> but I don't know. Well, in in a degree, Spider Man, Batman, James Bond, you've had uh, the ability to just cast a new net of characters and still tell a good story. There's still available material yeah. as long as you have a good enough foe, but. I don't know if I want to go on talking about this too much longer because my episode is already longer than yours and that might be a first. Oh, hey, oh, look at you. You got to do a little more editing than me. Holy yeah. Moly. Oh, no. So let's talk about the presidential election. And this is when I'm going to hit the uh, stop recording button. So, all right, that'll do it for us this month. Thank you for listening. Your brother isn't coming, is he? Loki is dead. Thank God. I'm so sorry. Next month, we are discussing the eighth movie in our crossover podcast series with Thor The Dark World from 2013, directed by Alan Taylor, written by Christopher Yost, Christopher Marcus, and Stephen McFeely. Music by Brian Tyler, starring Chris Hemsworth, Natalie Portman, Tom Hiddleston, Stellan Skarsgård, Idris Elba, Kat Dennings, Jamie Alexander, Renee Russo, and Sir Anthony Hopkins. You won't want to miss that one, so watch ahead of the show by searching the Real Good app to find where it's streaming for you. That's R-E-E-L-G-O-O-D. Please like, follow, rate, and review, or whatever on whichever platform you have so that more can join in on our fun. You can also email the show at thenewronnyduncanstudios.com or sign up for our newsletter. Find our new Facebook page on our Grace Movie of All Time podcast or find us on Instagram, Twitter, or TikTok at the handle at Podcast. The Greatest Marvel Movie of All Time is a joint production of Ronnie Duncan Studios and The Streaming Circuit. This show is mixed, edited, and written by Thomas Duncan. Our music is thanks to Purple Planet Music. Our technical provider and distributor is Captivate FM. 